Welcome to Retails from the Frontline. And today we have Christine Hunsaker, who is an amazing young woman who has founded a business which has morphed into another business and incredible ideas that are coming forth in an area that we all call the shared economy. And so, Christine, good day, and it's great to see you here in New York. Thank you so much for having me. So when you started on your journey, you came up with an idea called Gwinny Bee. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so actually we came up with the idea to be a B2B platform that would power retailers. This was in 2011. However, we realized we had zero credibility, hadn't built a system, hadn't proven that consumers would participate in this new economy. And we made a decision that the best way to prove out the theory was to build a consumer brand. So we actually launched Gwinny B as a means to get to the, the B2B side of the business. So the B2B side of the business is business to business and not starting with that, but you had to go to the consumer side yourself to show people that you, in fact, could take them into something new. So Gwinny B actually is size of zero to 32, and it's rental clothing. So do we really want to rent somebody else's clothes? This was the big question in 2011. You can build a number of economic models that say this is a great business. I mean, Netflix does it, Airbnb does it, Uber does it, all of these different sharing economy where they're raising an asset. But the question was, would people actually rent everyday clothing? So, you know, special occasion wear has been around for decades, especially with tuxedos for for weddings. The big question was, would people rent used clothing for their day-to-day work lives. And I think that's why we set out to build Gwinny Bee was to prove that people would actually do this. I think Airbnb probably gave us the most confidence. If you're willing to allow someone else to sleep on your pillow, the most intimate part of your apartment, we're pretty sure that you'd be willing to wear someone else's clothing. Well, it's interesting. I started out in the retail world myself, and I remember working in a store in Fifth Avenue, and I think that the rental idea was in full swing back then because people would buy these expensive dresses, they would wear them, hide the tags, and then return them, and then somebody else would buy them anyway, and this kind of went on. Is that a part of what you you saw out there that enabled you to understand that this could be a viable marketplace, or was it the more modern things? I think it was more the modern things. I think the returning with tags after wearing is much more about gaming the system and less about the cognitive understanding of the fact that I'm wearing used clothing. Like you still have this belief that it's new clothing when you take something from a store on a Friday, wear it to an event and bring it back on Monday for full credit. But we did think on the retailer side that this was a way for retailers to get in the middle of that financial transaction. People were essentially renting their clothing without any benefit going to the retailer. So that is one of the pieces that we talk about during our sales pitch especially in maternity wear, especially in kids' clothing. You think about the amount of hand-me-downs that happen or the amount of sharing that goes on outside and around the retailers. This, This is really a way for the retailers to insert themselves in the middle of that transaction. And so it was really a business idea that really was your primary goal. It wasn't about fashion. It was about technology. Yeah, absolutely. It really was around this is just simply a better way for people to engage with clothing And it's a better way for retailers to monetize all of their assets. So if a woman goes out and is spending a couple thousand dollars a year on clothing, why is it better to rent than to own? I think for if you take the average Vince consumer, 
a shirt there is going to cost you $250 to $300. So even if you're spending a couple thousand dollars, you're maybe buying two to three pieces from Vince a year, as well as spreading that money around a little bit. What rental allows a consumer to do is instead of walking away owning 10 pieces, she will have worn over 100 pieces of clothing for that same amount of money over the year. And what that allows the consumer to do is experiment and have a lot more fun with fashion. And so instead of anchoring around basics and staples and these core items that you know you can get repeated use out of, you start experimenting, you start wearing louder prints, you start wearing bolder colors, and you really kind of experience the full breadth of what a retailer has to offer because you're no longer constrained by this idea that everything you touch, you have to get enough use out of. Yeah, you know, it's interesting if we go back to kind of some key enablers that built the apparel business or built, you know, any of the trend-related consumer products businesses, it was credit. And credit was a huge enabler back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s that really exploded the business. And here, you're actually saying, well, it's not about credit, but it's about diversity of choice. Yes. And that you get to have a lot more choice in what what you're doing. So, You've built an infrastructure that can support that. Talk a little bit about how do you get to know the consumer and then what are the services that you have to provide? Because, you know, at a tuxedo rental, we know they dry clean it. We know it's made out of special materials that'll last a long time. What are the things that you found you had to build from scratch here? And then what are the things you had to kind of get the customer comfortable with? As far as what we provide, so we do, we've been running Gwinnie B on top of our infrastructure since 2012 is when we first started shipping. In 2017, we brought on our first couple of external partners. So we power Ann Taylor, New York and Company, Express, American Eagle, Rebecca Taylor, and Vince to offer their own rental services to their consumer using their own inventory. So we're essentially the the white label or the back-end provider. The consumer doesn't know we exist, doesn't know that Castle exists, which is the name of the company. And we handle everything for the retailer. And so what that infrastructure is that we provide, we build the front ends meaning we build the web experiences and the mobile apps. So on their website, you'll have a rent it section or is it a separate website totally? Today, it's a separate website, uh, which we do to allow us to get up and running very quickly and to not need to involve the retailer's IT departments, right? So in order to get up really, really quickly, we pull it outside of their universe. And so for instance, Vince has a site called vinceunfold.com and Taylor has Infinite Style by Ann Taylor. So they're rental-only experiences. The the brands will drive traffic to each one of those sites. We're building that front end for both desktop and mobile. We handle all of the technology that allows people to build their closets or their queues, everything that they want from the retailer. And then we handle all of the, the back end, which is the actual warehousing of all of the inventory, the shipping, the cleaning, the packing, the inspecting. That all happens through our distribution centers. So in other words, it's not like, ooh, I want that you know great pair of American Eagle jeans, and then they pick it out of the store that's in Times Square and then just ship it to you. No, we will get to that point. I think we're about 12 months away from being able to have a consumer walk into the store, try a bunch of different things on, and then walk out with a box of rented clothing. But that's a, a later phase. So does this just switch business from people buying clothes to renting, or does it create more usage and more engagement? So I don't think it switches people from buying to renting because I think the use cases are fundamentally different. There are certain items that you're going to get a ton of use out of. You're going to want to wear repeatedly. 
you know, whether it's your core denim or your black pants or basic black blazers, those actually don't make any sense to rent. You absolutely want to continue to own, buy and own that stuff up front. Um, I mean, economically, it just makes more sense. But what it does is rental is a complement to retail. And I think that's why we're getting so much adoption on the enterprise side, because the retailers recognize this isn't going to cannibalize their core retail business. What it's going to do is add a different component and a different way for the consumer to engage with the retailer. So it's almost purely additive to their businesses today. And so right now, as you're building these businesses with Vince or Ann Taylor or different companies, how are they able to test and understand that it's growing their business more than just selling? What we do is go in with our first 9 to 12-month plan, which is usually around let's get enough data to prove that cannibalization isn't happening. So the retailer's biggest fear is that this will take dollars out of selling and move it to to renting and that it will shrink the, the pool of dollars that they're getting. And so I think that first year is really about getting the retailer very comfortable that, in fact, the opposite's ha- happening, that we're expanding share of wallet as opposed to collapsing it. As we get more and more retailers on the system and we have more and more data, that time period of testing is starting to shrink for the retailers. So with our most recent launches, they're they're all in, right? They've seen the data that shows that we're increasing share of wallet by about 150% for the consumer. And so they come out of the gate much more strongly than the original pioneers did, you know, a year and a half ago. Do you see over time that this is something that remains just brand by brand, they end up renting? Or do you believe there's this great virtual shopping mall that you can create that makes it so somebody can go to one place and rent lots of things? I think from a consumer experience perspective, it is absolutely the latter, right? Nobody wants to have 10 different accounts with the 10 retailers they want to get clothing from. Our vision, however, is to create a department store-like feel for the consumer, but with the same unit economics that you get from being a vertical retailer. And so once everybody's on the same platform and all the clothing's in the same distribution centers, we should be able to do some interesting things that will create that experience that you're talking about, which is a consumer comes in through a brand but is able to access a number of different retailers' clothing. Do you bring new consumer types to these brands than they've had before? I mean, you would think about rental as something that a younger audience would do. Is that a good assumption? Or talk to me a little bit about some of the age differences and unlocks that you've found so far. So there are three main reasons a retailer wants to launch this platform. One, they want new consumers and they want digitally native new consumers to file. Second is they want to increase share of wallet. And the third is just pure profitability. It's a, it's a very profitable model. So what we're finding is we're driving about 50 to 60% of the people who sign up for the services are new to file. It's a great way to bring new consumers into the fold do tend to be the core millennial group. So the people who rent are, in general, 20 to 45 years old. For brands like Vince and Rebecca Taylor, it's a great way to start bringing in some younger customers. And whether you know it's just pure age difference or it's also, for somebody like Vince, Potentially, somebody who looks at Vince is very aspirational and is not yet quite affluent enough to be able to just buy a bunch of clothing for Vince. This is a way to bring somebody into the fold who really likes the clothing but can't quite afford to be a permanent retail consumer for that brand. So 
rumor has it that means you have to be in the dry cleaning business. Do you actually like own a dry cleaner? We have two dry cleaning facilities inside our two distribution centers. And we primarily, we do both dry cleaning and wet cleaning, which is different than laundry. Who knew? There's a third type of cleaning. But yeah, we run huge cleaning operations as well. So Christine, the shared economy is unlocking new marketplaces and new ideas all over the place. You and I were talking about Airbnb earlier, and there's a lot of different ways that that's addressing the hotel industry. So in your business, you have what you've created, which is an enabling platform Mm -hmm. for multiple brands. Then there's also another company called Rent the Runway. What's the difference between what you're doing and Rent the Runway? Rent the Runway is a consumer-facing business. So they're building essentially a giant department store for rental. They go out and buy a ton of different contemporary brands and offer a department store-like feel for the consumer. The consumer is trained to go to rentherunway.com. All that data sits with Rent the Runway. All that behavior sits with Rent the Runway. The same way Amazon does that on the retail side. What we're doing is enabling businesses to come into the rental space so that much like you have your own e-com, you'd have your own rental as well. So the way that we look at it is, you know, for somebody like Vince that wholesales to various department stores, it has its own e-com and it has its own brick and mortar infrastructure. It should also be selling to rent the runway, to rent through their department store rental setup. But it absolutely, from a unit economic perspective, should be running its own rental the same way it runs its own e-com. So you're really just opening up the marketplace of rental in a huge way for other people. You grew up on a farm. You're now in the technology and the fashion business. How did you get here? So I went to Princeton University, graduated in the late 90s, and I played field hockey. So I would say the, you know, I, I rode my field hockey stick all the way to Princeton University. You're a real tiger. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I didn't go there thinking I'd end up in technology. I went thinking, you know, I'll probably be a doctor. That seems like a responsible profession that a lot of people do, especially when you go to Princeton. And around my sophomore year, I realized I could not spend any more time in lab, that it was absolutely mind-numbingly dull to me. And so I transitioned to become an English major my junior year with a minor in medieval studies, which you could not get more random and or scary for my parents. And I graduated Princeton, went to Germany for a year because I'd never traveled internationally, lived there for a year teaching at a German boarding school, came back, took a job in strategic finance for a technology consulting company, did that for a year and a half. It was during the crash. So I ran budgeting and planning, which meant running tons of rounds of restructuring and layoffs for about a 1,500-person company, and uh, put myself in the seventh layoff that I did and went to a technology startup. So I was the third person in 2001 to join a reporting infrastructure company, and it was really about a product that would have solved a lot of problems I had in my previous job, and that's where I fell in love with, with building things. I can't code really. I mean, I can hack into things, but I fell in love with the idea of building companies and I've been doing data and technology startups since 2001. Wow. What a heck of a journey. So from the farm to the hockey, you know, field hockey to medieval studies in Germany, I don't even want to know what motivated you in (laughs) some medieval thing. You know, that was a little bit interesting. And now you have the Netflix uh, infrastructure for clothing, you know, that that is coming out of it. And a brief stop off in toy design school. Oh, wow. At Pratt, where I was going to get a master's degree in toy design. 
And did you design a toy? I am halfway through my program. I technically went on leave in 2004, have not yet gone back to complete it. So you've built a very large toy called, you know, an infrastructure. Exactly. So you love startups. A lot of the brands that you've talked about here are mature Mm -hmm. or, or larger businesses. Can somebody who's like early on in developing their own brand and in apparel, could they end up coming to you and and doing something like this? Or does it need to be a a somewhat larger company? There are trade-offs in looking at what types of companies make sense to bring on to the platform, to the Castle platform. You know, I think first and foremost, you need to have the type of clothing and the breadth of clothing that a consumer would want to rent. You want to have a relatively broad If you think about the retailers that we're powering, they're launching hundreds of SKUs every quarter. I think that's kind of the the first gating concern that any new brand would have is how broad is my line? If I'm doing, you know, one product in a very narrow and tight way, it's pretty hard to think about sustaining a, a rental program for a consumer if you're that narrow. But as soon as you start branching out a little bit more into a, a fuller lifestyle brand, then I think it starts to make sense. The reason why larger brands or older brands tend to be able to take advantage of this type of infrastructure really quickly is because they've already invested in building out brand awareness. So they come with huge lists. However, there are a number of brands that are being started and powered by celebrities. So if we think about something like a Draper James, which was started by Reese Witherspoon, while they may be a small brand overall, what they have is they have the power of a marketer who has created this company. And that allows for really easy access into a number of new consumers. So I think there are there are some things that you'd want to kind of trade off. Part of what we do during the sales process is make sure that any company that we're going to support, we, we believe will actually be successful. We go through a pretty in-depth analysis of, you know, what kind of supply do they have? What kind of access to demand do they have? You know, what kind of marketing budget can they put behind it? before we'll take a client on. It's really important for us to have all of our early businesses succeed. And do they understand also that, you know, you can really unlock this 28 to 45-year-old consumer? And also, isn't it sampling of sorts for them to get their clothes out at a less than high cost way and a way where somebody has to fully commit? The thing that it does for a brand is, you know, brands become known for a couple of their core staple items. What this allows is basically to create these walking billboards for your brand because now people are experiencing the full breadth of what you have to offer. So instead of going in and just buying the, you know, the core piece of denim that happens to be like Madewell's number one selling skew, now the designers can actually see people walking down the street dressed as the full Madewell woman. And that's something that is hard to get today, but that's what rental does. It allows you to create really deep engagement with the consumer where she's on the site 180 days a year. She's spending about a hundred minutes a month on the rental site and she's wearing over a hundred pieces of clothing a year from the brand. That is deep immersion that you can't get in traditional retail. I wouldn't classify it as sampling as much as like deep engagement into the brand. So the name of the company under Gwynny B is Castle. Yes. Tell me how that name came up. Was this from your medieval studies uh, or, uh, or no, something else? No, I mean, I, there, there are some nice synergies that uh, you can retrofit into there. It stands for clothing as a service. 
So the CAAS of Castle is for clothing as a service, which essentially is what we believe that we're creating, like software as a service or entertainment as a service like Netflix. So you have had an incredible journey and now as your own leading entrepreneur in an emerging marketplace, what wouldn't I find on Google about you that would really be interesting? I don't know that anything would really be interesting. Pretty sure I could win a competitive jigsaw puzzling competition, which there is the annual jigsaw puzzling competition in Minnesota, which I'm thinking of entering in January. I trained for the Golden Gloves for a little while in my early 30s. I mean, you know, there's a bunch of random things. I'm like a collector of random eclectic experiences. No one would bet against you on any of these things, but putting together a puzzle of new ideas, new ideas that are about how do you open up and create access to more consumers, deeper engagement, and enable people to have more variety in their lives. And that's what Christine Hunsicker is doing here with Castle and with Gwynny B is opening up a new horizon in the shared economy And so we thank you very much for the great insights and exciting journey that you're able to share with us. You're on the beginning, in my opinion, of something that's pretty spectacular. And so we look forward to watching it unfold here. I'm Matt Rubel, and this is Retails from the Frontline. Frontline.